Welcome, Buter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Buter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. It is a Wednesday primetime edition of the show. We're going live at 7 p.m. Hope everybody had a great day. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Well, one fun because at least I'm a little more positive about the outlook for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into the season while they're getting disrespected around the rest of the league. The other, a little bit more of a sad moment because a fan favorite of the Buccaneers, you'll still get to see him a lot because he's playing for another team in the NFC South, but unfortunately it won't be with the Bucs anymore. Of course, I'm talking about Scotty Miller, but we'll bring a little positive, bring a little uh, unfortunate negativity. But one thing that's always positive, of course, is that we get to rock with the pewter people on tonight's show. I'm your host, Matt Mater, and joined with me is a recurring guest of the show. He's been on a couple of times. It is James Hill, also known as Mr. Bucks Nation. Check out his YouTube channel, Mr. Bucks Nation. Uh, great, great YouTube channel with a lot of awesome content. As soon as the Bucks make a signing or a release or a trade, whatever the news is, James is always on top of it. So, James, how are you doing, man? Thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Greatly, greatly appreciative of that. Happy to be here. Happy to see all the pewter people here in the chat as well. And yeah, ready to talk about some Buccaneers football, man. Thank you for the uh, the plug too on the YouTube channel. Greatly appreciate that. If you guys are new to Pewter Report as well, by the way, you're just tuning in, make sure you like this live stream and subscribe to them as well for also all updates regarding the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here on YouTube again as well at Pewter Report. So I, yeah. pre- I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'll give you a plug. You give me a plug. We'll all uh, plug each other's shows. It really is great content, though. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, let's get let's get the bad news right out of the way. Um, obviously, this news honestly broke like right after we were done with the Peter Report podcast yesterday because we did it at four o'clock during yesterday's show, and um, it may have been like five fifteen, something along those lines. Adam Schefter had tweeted that Scotty Miller of NFC championship fame has signed a one-year contract with the Atlanta Falcons. And people went crazy online. They were like, Scotty, how could you do this to us? Um, I know how I feel about the whole move in general. Just your initial reaction to Scotty going to the Falcons. We'll talk about his overall career with the Bucs, but immediately 2023, the version of Scotty Miller. Just your thoughts about him departing from the Bucs and going to not only another team, but a team that the Bucs will see twice a season. Yeah, well, initially when I saw the move, it reminded me of obviously not on the same level, but Gerald McCoy going to the Carolina Panthers or Jameis ah. Winston going to the New Orleans Saints, right? Like, I know that there were a lot of people who were big fans of Scotty Miller, and this might hurt a little bit, you know, but you do take a look back at that 2023 season and Scotty Miller just didn't have as many opportunities as he had the past couple of years. You did mention the NFC championship game and he had some good moments with Tom Brady at quarterback, but it just seemed like it was more so leaning towards moving on. Right. And given the Buccaneers salary cap limitations, given all the different types of things that they're trying to do with their offense, with a new offensive coordinator, with, you know, some shuffling along the offensive line, a new quarterback, obviously it, 
isn't super surprising to see the Buccaneers move on from a guy like Scotty Miller. It definitely is going to be a situation where they are going to have to add more depth to that wide receiver room, which we can talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, yeah I, I it it is, you know, hey, sad to see Scotty go. He did win a Super Bowl with the Bucs. You know, that's a cool thing indeed. Um, and hey, you know, him going to the Falcons now, another thing I thought was, man, he he's going to get some opportunities over there because the Falcons, their wide receiver room is a little bit in flux, a little bit of a fluid situation there. So I'm, you know, I understand why people are sad, but also be encouraged a little bit because Scotty will probably get the more most opportunities with the Falcons than he has in his entire career. Yeah, I think the reason why most people are sad more than anything else is because Scotty Miller was a fan favorite. Like, let's remember, he was picked in the fifth round out of Bowling Green, and he's a small guy that's fast. Like, that's usually an exciting type of player. No one really thought he was going to become the guy that he was. But I'll I'll start with the future and then kind of work my way back with Scotty Miller. Because if you look at the present tense of Scotty Miller— he was unfortunately relegated to essentially a special teams player. You know, he didn't get on the field that much. He had 185 receiving yards. And that's because he was fighting for, you know, playing time, even all the way back to his infamous 2020 season. Now, the 2020 season, he started out great because he was in the mix. But then once Antonio Brown got there, and I'll talk about the NFC Championship moment in, in a little bit or later, we both can. Antonio Brown didn't play in that game, and that's why Scotty Miller got that opportunity in the first place. So you look at the 2021 season when A.B. started with the team, and we all know what happened later on. Scotty wasn't getting a lot of playing time then. Fast forward to the next season, you bring in Russell Gage, you brought in Julio Jones as well, and while Jones certainly didn't work out, and Gage, the chapter is still open with him uh, you know, returning for this season when he was kind of on the chopping block, Scotty just didn't get enough playing time, and is that on the coaches who a lot of them aren't here anymore? Is it on Scotty? I don't necessarily know. I think we'll find out a little bit more about that this season because Scotty was a deep threat down the field and they didn't really utilize him enough. I got to give a shout out to Luke Easterling. He had a, a good tweet that I think Scotty Miller actually liked as well, saying Scotty wasn't utilized enough. Defenses didn't have to worry about Scotty. Because when you think about it, when he burst onto the scene, I would say, Towards the end of his rookie year in 2019, I know he missed the past couple of games because he went on season-ending IR, and injuries was a whole other part of it. Scotty started establishing that deep ball threat towards the end of his personal season when, when he was playing. Then next year, working with Tom Brady, halfway through the season, he was leading the Bucs in receiving yards and had those big plays. Obviously, the NFC Championship game, he had a big play against the Las Vegas Raiders. I, I bet a lot of Bucs fans will remember that as well. And that was his best season in 2020. He uh, had his personal best in receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. And the only thing he didn't have was uh, yards per reception. And he was only off by, I think, two yards or something, or 0.2 yards. So it wasn't you know that big. But then you look at 2021 and 2022, turf toe screwed him over in 2021. He only played in 10 games. Um, so he missed a lot of time there. And then again, being... That far down the depth chart, Scotty, there's a lot of exciting things about him, but his best claim to fame was, again, he was an outside wide receiver. He did not play in the slot. He is not a slot receiver. We'll see how Atlanta uses him, but he was an outside receiver. Scotty was a deep threat down the field, utilizing his speed. That's a pretty much mostly what he did, though. He didn't 
really bring much else to the table. So I think the Bucs are ready to move on. I'm happy that Scotty's going to get a good opportunity and he'll always be a big part of Bucks history. Yeah, no, I agree with that, you know, 100%. Like you said, you look at that 2020 season, Scotty Miller, it's obviously by far the best year he's ever had. In fact, it's it's it was such a good year for him. It's better statistically than his other three years combined in his yes. career so far. <laughs> so that's pretty notable, but that's also, I feel like, kind of telling in a way, right, Matt, where you look at a little bit of injuries, you look at a lack of utilization, but at the end of the day too, you got to remember that there was a lot of other wide receiver talent here. So yeah. Scotty Miller may have very well just been an unfortunate circumstance type of situation, right? But he did have his moments. He did have his time to shine in certain situations, especially in that 2020 season. That was a phenomenal year. And I think that that was the year that made everybody fall in love with Scotty Miller, right? Yes. A million percent. Right. But then you look at the next two years after that. And Matt, I think what a lot of people forget, too, is that in 2022, before the season actually started, a lot of people tabbed Scotty Miller to just be cut from the team anyway. Right. Very true. And that did not happen. They opted to go with him as a special teams guy instead of Jalen Darden. Um, and that was the decision that they went moving forward. But yeah, so I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall, right? And you look and you could make that argument of, well, the Bucks don't have a ton of wide receiver depth right now. If you were to bring back Scotty Miller, he would be your wide receiver four. But it just seems like, like you said, it was kind of time to move on, go in a different direction. And especially even for Scotty Miller too. Like you talked about it, the guy's only, I believe, 25 years old right now. He can go to a team like the Atlanta Falcons, who does not have a lot of wide receiver depth right now, or, or a lot of mm. proven wide receiver depth. And who knows what he's going to turn into? I think that that was a solid decision for Scotty Miller to make. Rather than being a wide receiver four behind Evans, Godwin, and Gage, you can go to the Falcons and who knows where you end up. You, you know, maybe wide receiver one, two, three, wherever, you know? So that's kind of where it is you know at the end of the day i know people are hurt about that but it's not really too surprising whenever you kind of break it down i agree not surprising at all and to your point he goes to atlanta they have drake london who you know essentially they're number one but like scotty miller goes in and is the number three wide receiver at for atlanta that is awesome for scotty miller like, that's a huge role that he never would have gotten with the bucks i mean I was looking at the stats yesterday. And I'm not remembering it off the top of my head, but Scotty only had like 10 to 15 career starts with the Bucs. It wasn't like he was utilized as this all around talent that was like a necessity in the lineup every single time. I mean, he was game day inactive a couple of times last season. He's only had eight starts. Eight starts. So, excuse me. I was, yeah, I was a couple of starts off. And, yeah. you know, to that point, the Bucs weren't like, desperate to bring Scotty Miller back, which is why he has this opportunity with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, you look at the rest of the roster and we know Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage back. They also had a lot of small wide receivers, both last year and this year. I mean, Devin Tompkins, who ended up being their, you know, kick returner. Kalen Geiger is, is a practice squad guy that very much could, you know, compete to be a kick returner um, this season as well. And then you had Jalen Darden who was on the team and they released him, during the the middle of the season because they weren't happy with what he was doing as a as a kick returner and he never really fully developed as a wide receiver. So the Bucks have a stockpile of small, speedy wide receivers, including Scotty last season, which is why they didn't really need him this year. And I think that's why you'll see the Bucks 
if they draft the wide receiver or if they try to go for an inexpensive option in free agency, because we all know how tight the salary cap is for the Bucs this year, I think you're going to see a taller wide receiver that can still get down the field, but, you know, is a little better at targeting the football, getting up after it just because of their, their size alone. But we'd be remiss to kind of put a bow on Scotty Miller's career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He will always have a place in Bucks history for that infamous catch in the NFC Championship game when the Bucs defeated the Green Bay Packers. If uh, everyone wants to go down memory lane real quick, you can go on YouTube, do it after the show, and uh, just look up Scotty Miller, halftime catch, NFC Championship game. Eight seconds on the clock. The Bucs were at – they're on Green Bay side of the field. It would have been like about a 57-yard field goal. It seemed like the Bucs were just ready to try to get a couple more yards down the field, um, get closer into field goal range because we all know Ryan Suckup's range at the time, 57, would have been uh, pretty tough. But Scotty Miller had one-on-one -on -one coverage against Kevin King, the uh, Packers cornerback. Beat him deep on a go-route down the field. Tom Brady saw it through a perfect pass. Miller caught it because he was a couple of steps ahead of the cornerback. Made the catch, scored a touchdown. It was a four-point swing because the Bucs were about to, you know, kick a field goal, and they put seven on the board. Brought that momentum into the second half instantly when Jordan Whitehead forced a fumble, and then Cam Brate, another another player that unfortunately won't be with the Bucs next season. Um, Cam Brate scores a touchdown. Bucs get a ton of momentum. Hold on to win uh, the, the game. I believe the final score is 31-26. They defeated the Packers in Lambeau, won the NFC Championship game. And two weeks later, they won the Super Bowl, defeating the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9 in Raymond James Stadium. So, Scotty Miller will always be part of history with one of the most iconic plays in Bucks history. And uh, they don't win a Super Bowl without him and that big play because it turned out to be so important to that game specifically. Yeah, I think that whenever you look at that run and that playoff run, I guess I should say, that is a play that you know those NFL films documentaries when they have like those momentous plays that are like done in slow motion and stuff that's going to be one of yeah. those plays whenever NFL films ever does a thing about the Bucks Super Bowl run in 2020 you know home Super Bowl and all that that play is going to be there of course it is because that was one of the most impactful plays I would say certainly the most impactful play in recent Buccaneers history but even going throughout, like you said, the entire course of the team's history throughout their entire time as a franchise, that's got to be up there. Because like you said, they don't win that game without Scotty Miller. And then look where they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. So it's huge. It's it's awesome. And it's one of the cooler moments in Bucks history. So that's cool. Hey, you know, Scotty Miller, he isn't with the Bucks anymore. But man, he can certainly hang his hat on that. Yeah, well, without question. Also, formally, uh, he's also a friend of the program. He was on an episode of the Peter Report podcast, um, also a sponsor of Celsius. Uh, he did it via Celsius as well. We were live. It was a great episode. I definitely recommend everybody go check that out. You know what? Since I mentioned Celsius, I might as well get into it. Of course, Celsius is the presenting sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. Make sure you check out some of their new flavors. They got the Fantasy Vibe and the Sparkling Lemon Lime. I mean, the Fantasy Vibe's got marshmallow in it. It's like drinking a creamsicle. And if you're a Bucks fan, you got to love creamsicle. I mean, it's it's the backbone of Tampa Bay Buccaneers history. Sparkling Lemon Lime has quickly 
gotten into my top five as well. Can't forget about the vibes. The vibes are always high on the show. So shout out to the Arctic Tropical and Peach Vibes. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the other awesome flavors. The Fuji Apple Pear, Sparkling Watermelon, Sparkling Orange, Wild Berry, uh, Kiwi Guava, Strawberry Lemonade, Cucumber Lime I've been drinking as well. So a ton of awesome flavors. If you want to know where to get them, punch in your address on the store locator. And it will let you know where you can get one as close as possible to you. We did it while we were in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine, which, James, you were at as well. We had a great time there. Um, it literally sends you right to your local Walmart, Target, 7-Eleven, or your bodega, as uh, people like to get riled up about. And, of course, if you want to start getting them in bulk, because why have one can of Celsius when you can get a whole pack of Celsius? And there's so many awesome flavors. Get the variety pack as variety spice of life. Go to Amazon, click on the subscribe and save, and uh, have it sent to your house or apartment every week, monthly, quarterly, yearly, whenever you want. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. All right, James, I want to stick with the wide receiver conversation before we talk about how the Bucs are getting disrespected by everybody in the media for their ranking around the league. But as far as it pertains to the uh, the wide receivers for this year, we know Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I, I don't think, obviously their chemistry with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask is a huge question, but you know that would happen with any new quarterback that was coming in. That's not really specific to to Mike and Chris. I, I'm curious where you land on um, Russell Gage specifically, because he's coming in as wide receiver three. We talked about Tompkins and Geiger. We'll see what happens in free agency and specifically with the draft as well. Um, so the first thing I'll ask you is, would you have cut Russell Gage? Would you have kept him? Um, what are your expectations for him this season? And then separately, when it comes to the draft, I'm not going to ask you for anyone specifically because there's so many wide receivers. But in terms of the needs that the Bucs have um, with the rest of their roster, you know, finding a, a slot corner, uh, an edge rusher, offensive tackle, obviously. Are you looking at a wide receiver that you would want to – like, would you want to pick a wide receiver within the first three rounds or make it a more like round five, round six type of thing? So I know that's a lot of questions right there. Feel free to attack it any way that you feel uh, best. I should have taken notes, but um, – Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so first, let's talk about Russell Gage, right? Yeah. You asked if I would have kept him or cut him. I would have kept Russell Gage because we've seen the Buccaneers already have to make a lot of tough decisions due to their salary cap limitations, the release of Donovan Smith, of Leonard Fournette, and of Ryan Suckup. And they've also had to make the tough decisions of not being able to bring back everybody. Yes, they pulled off bringing back Jamel Dean. They pulled off bringing back Levante David, but there's still a lot of guys out there who were key starters and key pieces for the Buccaneers in terms of starting reps and things along those lines. So when I look at Gage, I, I thought that it would have been important for them to keep him, and that's what I would have done. The reason for that is because when you have a new quarterback coming in, or if you have a guy who is going to be playing more reps at quarterback in the cases of Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask, one thing that Dave Canales talked about a lot was making sure their quarterback, whoever it may be, be it Trask or Baker Mayfield, he talked about Trask in this situation, but being able to distribute, being able to get the ball to his playmakers. So I think it's good to have as many playmakers as possible. At the end of the day, the Buccaneers would not have saved a ton of money cutting Russell Gage. And 
he has the chance to bounce back, which I think he's going to do. I think that we don't know exactly what Dave Canales' offense is going to be yet, but if right. it is more of a West Coast style of offense, I think that there have been references and comparisons made to the San Francisco 49ers, the LA Rams, obviously the Seattle Seahawks. Then it is an offense that I think doesn't necessarily require three stud wide receivers, but it's certainly a good thing to have. And it's going to take even more pressure off of the quarterback. And I think that that's just a good thing that you want to see. That's something that David Canales wants to see in this offense is not put as much pressure on the quarterback. So I was in favor of keeping gauge. I think that the Buccaneers, obviously they did free up enough money and they were able to make some moves and, and do some decisions that they really wanted to get done without getting rid of gauge. So it's just a good benefit for whoever's going to be there at quarterback. If gauge does bounce back from all the injury problems that he had, which I think he will be able to do. Now you did talk a little bit about those injuries and that was just really unfortunate. You know, that was a, yeah. a victim of circumstance type of situation there. Unfortunately for gauge, I remember, I believe it was Scott Reynolds. It was either you or Scott Reynolds had written about it in an article on pewterreport.com where you had talked about the bucks being a little bit unhappy with gauges recovery process and him rehabbing from his injuries and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's a reason to cut the guy. I think that if anything, it it just is it is what it is, you know. And I think the gauge will be able to come back healthier and will be able to be an important integral part of this Bucks offense. So you look at some of the guys that they have there right now. You have Devin Tompkins, you have Kalen Geiger, who are both kind of relatively unknowns. That would have been a lot of loss yeah. on that wide receiver depth if you also added in cutting Russell Gage as well. So that are that is kind of my thoughts on that. And I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I forgot what you asked after the Yeah, Russell you know game. what I did I did a bad job as a host. I should have just led with the Russell Gage part and then get to my next question about the draft, which I will do that because I have a couple of opinions I want to say about Russell Gage. Uh, you had a great observation and that was one of the arguing points for keeping Russell Gage is that you're not really saving that much money. And based on, you know, the availability of wide receivers in free agency, the Bucs would have had to spend the same amount, if not more, to get someone that is essentially pretty much the same amount of talent. Like, I know Adam Thielen became available. I think Adam Thielen would have been way more expensive than, you know, what uh, what Russell Gage cost when they signed him last season. Uh, Lazard, he got a pretty good pretty big uh, contract from the uh, from the New York Jets. So uh, all the options, I look at a lot of these guys and sure, like I would I would rank Thielen better than Russell Gage. I wouldn't really say that Alan Lazard is a better wide receiver than Russell Gage. I mean, sure, he worked with Aaron Rodgers. And, but I think the biggest thing for Gage, that the injury was everything because he was lighting it up. He was balling in training camp and then right in front of our, our eyes i believe i was standing next to scott reynolds at the time the hamstring injury it got to him it was when they were having joint practices with the miami dolphins and he was just never the same i don't know if he initially came back too quick and i think the biggest thing that hurt russell gage was i mean obviously the speed but his his yards per reception and his yards after the catch like he's known as a speed guy like i believe he ran track at lsu or at least ran track at at one point in his career, and he just didn't bring that element to the Buccaneers. But, you know, he did have some great games. Like, I think we all remember, and it ended badly, 
so maybe Bucks fans tried to black it out of their memory. But, you know, the game against the Packers, they had no wide receivers. Mike Evans was suspended for the altercation against the New Orleans Saints the week before. Chris Godwin got injured in the first game against the Cowboys and hadn't returned yet. So Russell Gage was your wide receiver one. And I know that the, the Bucks struggled that whole game. They scored 12 points. But Russell Gage was the guy that caught the clutch touchdown at the end of the uh, at the end of the game they couldn't get the two point conversion and um you know he had a solid game individually and then later on in the year as he kind of got healthier i don't think he was 100% he became a red zone target not an elite red zone target no one's going to mistake him for rob gronkowski or everything that cam brate did but with with gronk not there and cam brate obviously took a couple of steps back and the chemistry was off with Tom Brady and Mike Evans. We obviously saw that. Russell Gage kind of stepped up in that department. And I think the biggest thing of all is, one, he's got to get healthy, as we just talked about. But the other thing, and I get it, the NFL and kind of in general in this world, we want instant reactions. We want things to work out right away. And I think we are too quick to pull the plug on a lot of things this GM didn't work out. We got to fire him right away. This coach didn't have a winning season immediately. We got to fire him right away. And in this case with wide with Russell Gage, a wide receiver, he wasn't a slam dunk, dunk free agent signing. Let's just cut him and start over again. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think sometimes you have to give a player an opportunity to redeem himself or give him the benefit of the doubt that when he's healthy, he can make an impact on this team. So I think it's better to keep Russell Gage rather than try to find another wide receiver in free agency that's probably at the same skill level as Russell Gage or go with the wide receiver in the draft that is undoubtedly unproven because you got, you know, Tompkins and Geiger who, you know, they were under at the free agents for a reason and they're smaller, faster guys, not, not the the vertical type of players that I think the Bucs are, are really looking for. So, yeah, I definitely think Gage deserved the opportunity to at least come back. He took a little bit of a pay cut with the Bucs restructuring his contract. And you know what? If he doesn't perform this year, then fine, release him. He's on a three-year contract, I believe, anyway. So you still got two years out of him, and it's not going to kill your, your salary cap if you release him um, next season. So that leads me to the next question that I had for you about wide receiver as it pertains to the draft, there are still a lot of spots in the roster that the Bucks need to fill specifically slot corner in no particular order, offensive tackle, edge rusher, maybe some depth at inside linebacker and along the interior offensive line. So as you look at this draft specifically for wide receiver with all the needs that the Bucks have, do you think it's, do you see them like maybe not going after one in the first round, but maybe a, a second or third round for the wide receiver, or do you see as more a fifth, sixth round type of uh, experiment for the Bucks? Yeah. You know, I, I think that right now, and this could change, but round four to five feels like the sweet spot. Right. And yeah, look, Jason light has had great success drafting wide receivers, you know, in terms of later rounds and whatnot, right? Like Chris Godwin was a, a middle round draft pick and that ended up great. And, you know, there's certainly been some misses there too, right? But I think round four to five just feels like the right spot right now to get a fourth wide receiver, get them in the building. One move that kind of surprised me was them not bringing back Tyler Johnson in terms of a, a futures deal. That was a little surprising to me. 
And I think now that they are going to have to add a little bit of depth, like we said earlier, that's one of the reasons why you don't get rid of a guy like Russell Gage, because you need that wide receiver depth. And could they make an addition in free agency? Yeah. And I think that that is a thing that will probably happen, a cheap wide receiver addition, like what you had been saying. But I also think you've got to continue to bolster that depth with young wide receivers that you can grow and develop because Mike Evans isn't getting any younger. Chris Godwin is still on a big contract. I believe Mike Evans contract actually runs out after this season. It does. So, so they're going to have to figure that out in terms of the Russell Gage contract. He has actually, after this season, it's a team option. So if Russell Gage does not perform, they can move on from him. So there could be a lot of changes to the wide receiver room and especially regarding depth. So I think that it's important to just continue to add to that, right? Just continue to add more to your depth, continue to build that up as much as you can. And, you know, getting a developmental guy in the fourth or fifth round, hey, if it doesn't work out, I don't think it's the end of the world, right? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I feel like the sweet spot is right now. And I think because with Dave Canales' offense, like we have an idea of what it's going to be, as he said before, a mix of, the Rams and the 49ers and the Seahawks, but we don't really know a hundred percent how it's going to look, especially with like the quarterbacks that the Bucks have with the, uh, you know, the overall competition between Baker Mayfield and, and Kyle Trask. So we don't even know what the prototype wide receiver that the Bucks would be looking for in the draft is like, is it a, a speed guy? Is it just a guy with length that can go down the field? There are a couple of options that, we're not totally sure about yet. I mean, we know Mike Evans and Chris Godwin can work in any type of offense, you know? And I think also you got the three wide receivers. We talked a lot about on, on yesterday's show that um, getting a second tight end, because you're going to see a lot of like two tight end setups for the, the Bucks offense this year, um, getting that second tight end who doesn't have to be like an all world type of player, but just someone to compliment Kate Otten get another passing option in the passing game with that way, that could almost kind of counteract getting another wide receiver if you just have another viable option. But they do have to get faster. You heard Jason Light talk about that. We do have a super chat we got to get to. Appreciate Reese Collins for this $10 super chat. Reese says, thank you, PR, for introducing me to Sidney Brown. He reminds me of Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Sidney Brown. Um, if you, you may have seen, he was in Peter Report's Mock Draft 4.0, taking him in the third round, that Bucks that is. I, I also had him in my Bucks seven-round Mock Draft during my Bucks battle plan. So I'm a big fan of Sidney Brown. I'd absolutely love if they uh, drafted him around the same, uh, a little actually taller than Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, Sidney Brown is about 5'10", but he's got a ton of speed. He flies around the field. He's physical. He'll hit you very hard. He'll miss a couple times, but he'll hit you really hard, and he makes crazy athletic plays. Six interceptions last season. Obviously, the Bucs need to get their hands on the football. So um, keep an eye out for for Sidney Brown. I had him going in the second round, so we'll see uh, what round that he does fall into. Um, Let's get to a couple other comments from everybody in the chat. We love the Peter people. Thank you guys all for your contributions to the show um rich jr says gage still hasn't proved himself to be number three in my opinion i think that's fair but also russell gage doesn't really have too much competition against him for wide receiver three i don't know if you see that the same way james but i don't i don't look at tompkins or geiger as like a huge threat 
as wide receiver three. Yeah, I think at this point, Gage is the number three guy by default, right? Yes. And if they bring a number four, well, if they bring a, a fourth or fifth round wide receiver in here, or they bring in a veteran option that has some pretty lengthy starting experience, then you can maybe say, okay, it might be a little bit of a competition there. But until then, Gage is the number three guy right now. And I, I think that, that is a pretty safe assumption to make, right? Like you talked about it with Geiger and Tompkins. Those guys are undrafted guys. And quite frankly, they have not played a ton in the NFL. Gage has had starting experience before. He's been a starting caliber wide receiver before. So I think that that is also some proof in there as well, right? Just because the guy was was hurt last year doesn't mean he has improved himself in the past to be a starting caliber wide receiver. That would kind of be my thoughts and opinions on that. Yeah, I kind of see the only way that Gage gets pushed for wide receiver three is if they either draft the wide receiver in the third round, ironically, or the, the guy they take in the fifth round just completely exceeds all expectations. Like, wow, we we found a diamond in the rough with this pick. But yeah, I don't really see him having too much competition um chris cole christopher cole thinks that tomkins is going to have a big year we shall see maybe he's a little more comfortable obviously it's a new offense that everybody is learning maybe he'll have the confidence knowing that he'll probably be on the team as a kick returner so once you get your foot in the door then you can kind of take off running from there no pun intended so yeah we'll see with tomkins i'm i'm optimistic i guess but i'm not like I'm not really fist pumping over Devin Tompkins. We uh, we shall see. John V with a couple comments about Russell Gage saying, had an injury that wasn't going to be right until the offseason, and then followed that up with uh, Gage proved it in Atlanta, but not as a buck yet, but he was banged up all last year, uh, talking to Rich specifically. Yeah, I, I think we kind of already commented on that. Um, fully healthy Russell Gage, that's obviously number one in his book, what he's going to uh, need to do this season is stay totally healthy. And if he can, it's going to be important for him to have a good season because if he struggles like he did last year, and, and I get it, a lot of it was because of the injury, he'll probably be out and the Bucks will be looking for a new wide receiver three, hopefully not a wide receiver one. Hopefully they'll end up uh, extending Mike Evans at some point before the beginning of the season or maybe even you know during the season or figure something out with Mike Evans because uh, that would be ideal. Uh, Bucks obviously want to keep their number one wide receiver. But if you're going to go bowling, the number one place to go to is pin chasers. They got multiple locations in uh, East Pasco, Zephyr Hills, Midtown, and Veterans Tampa. They have one that's pretty close to the Advent Hill Training Center where the Bucks have their practice and uh, their facility. It's a great night out with friends and family. Um, they have deals every single night. It, it truly is awesome. Um, they have all you can eat pizza, all you can bowl, dollar beers um if you have a kid and you want to throw a birthday party for them they also have an arcade area so the kids can play video games and bowl as well the food is extremely underrated from the pizza to the nachos to the chicken tendies a lot of great options as well if you want to host an event for uh some co-workers a company outing anything like that um, they have a great area for that as well which would work great for what you have planned. So again, go to pinchasers.net. They got a fully stocked bar with beer, wine, and liquor. If uh, that is what you like to partake in as well, if that's your choice. So check out the website, see what deal they have in store for you. Cause odds are they're going to have something. So 
Check out Pimp Chasers. All right, Mr. Bucks Nation. Uh, I don't know why I went with that, James. Um, the other big topic, obviously, that we want in and disrespected. Like Roddy Dangerfield, they're getting no respect. There was a, we put a story out on PeterReport.com. Uh, rankings by ESPN. They ranked all 32 teams with the caveat that it, it is way too early with these rankings. Obviously, the teams haven't even practiced yet um, through free agency and with the draft coming up. And the Bucks are ranked 29th in the NFL out of all 32 teams. I know that there's a lot of change. I understand that there is a new quarterback that's going to be under center, that they have a new offensive coordinator that is unproven. And the fact that you lose Tom Brady, you're obviously going to, to jump down a lot. But to go all the way to 29th, I think is a little ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. When you look at the talent around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like even before Tom Brady got there in 2019, the Bucs weren't 29th. And they have a better team now roster-wise, than they did in 2019. I mean, you still have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Rashad White, I think, is going to have a great season. Tristan Wirfs is an all-pro offensive tackle. I don't care what side of the offensive line he's blocking on. There is just so much talent on this team. To put them at 29th, one of the worst in the league, I just think that's a little overblown. I'm not saying the top 10, but 29th, man. Oh, I don't know. That just, uh, I have... I think Bucks fans should take umbrage with that. Yeah, you know, for me, I would probably put them somewhere in the middle teens, right? Probably to yeah. later teens. But but 29 is pretty extreme. Like, I, I always have a list of the teams up here on my wall that I can always reference. Um, and I don't know what teams were worse than the Bucks, right? But you're yeah. telling me that the Texans, the Broncos, the, <laughs> you know, the commanders the panthers the falcons the cardinals all these teams right are around the bucks level that's just a little bit hard for me to believe right now and i know some people may say they may uh, the obvious thing is to look at the quarterback situation but to me the quarterback situation shouldn't drop you from where were they whenever brady was there seven eight something along yeah. those lines <laughs> 20 yeah. spots. I mean, that's pretty incredible. That's a pretty seismic drop. So that's where it it is really interesting for me. And I think it just goes to show that some national media, that difference between national media and local media, where some of that national media might not be paying attention to all these different types of moves that the Buccaneers are making and all this different type of talent that the Buccaneers have. And it's also being very much a downer on Baker Mayfield as he is here on your screen right now and, and potentially Kyle Trask or whatever that quarterback situation may be. This offense is going to be an offense that takes away that pressure from a quarterback. So we can see Baker Mayfield absolutely shine in this offense, or we see can see Kyle Trask take a big leap forward in this offense. Those are things that can legitimately happen. So whenever I do see rankings like that, Matt, it does just kind of remind me a little bit like, oh, you, you kind of look at some of those rankings and it's more surface level in terms of analysis and in terms of knowledge of the teams and whatnot. And that's, kind of what it reminded me of for sure 
Right, and you have to take it with the grain of salt because they're the. The draft hasn't even occurred yet. There hasn't been any games or practices that have, have gone on. And so this could definitely move a lot. Obviously, it, it, unfortunate injuries occur. Or it's like another big trade. This could change a lot. But still, man. Okay, so 32nd is the Cardinals. You kind of named a lot of these teams. 31st, the Texans, the Colts at 30, and then the Bucks 29. I'll rattle off a couple of the other teams ahead of them. The Falcons at 28, Bears 27, Titans 26, Rams 25, Saints 24, Broncos 23, Commanders 22, Panthers 21, Packers 20, Browns 19, uh, Raiders 18, Patriots 17, uh, Jets 16, Giants 15. We'll, we'll end it there. Ravens at 14, which if they don't have Lamar Jackson back, I think they'll move much further back. But all right, go ahead, James. Yeah, I mean, if they don't have Lamar, are we going to assume that the Ravens are going to drop all the way to 29 or 31 or something along those lines? I mean, and the fact that to me right now, Matt, I don't think it's crazy to say that if all if all things go right for the Bucs, you're looking at the Bucs and Saints still trying to compete against one another for the NFC South, right? I think that the Falcons and Panthers, they're just still a couple of steps away. The Cardinals are are hurt as can be. A similar situation with the Rams right now. The Bears, the Commanders, the Texans, the Broncos, the Raiders, and all these other different types of teams, right? The Buccaneers can certainly compete with those teams. And I think that whenever you compare rosters to a lot of those teams, you would probably give the nod to the Bucs in terms of more overall talent. So that's where... Again, it goes back to my point of surface level. People look at the quarterback situation and... It, which admittedly is a question mark. We don't know if it's going yes. to be bad, folks. You can say it's a question mark for sure, but you cannot say it's bad yet because we have not seen these guys take a single snap in this offense yet. We have no idea. And like you said, Matt, it, the draft has not happened. Free agency is still going on. All those other different types of things. So again, it's just definitely a surface value thing for me where who, whoever had made that list, what whatever entity had made that list is just not really deep diving into a lot of these situations and a lot of these teams. I don't think it is crazy at all to say that the Buccaneers could still compete in the NFC South if things at that quarterback question mark right now are going well. And at the end of the day, you can't say it's good or bad because we don't know yet. And there's still a lot of different types of things that can happen before you can make a distinction of where a team may be ranked. But even again, if you look at overall talent, if you look at what's going on with this team's roster and compare it to some of those other teams that they're with, I think you do got to go ahead and give the nod of the Buccaneers do have more overall talent than a decent number of those teams. And they brought talent back, which was huge, which not a lot of those teams can say. Right. And that's what I had an issue with because a couple of people at like, the Bucs are rebuilding. The Bucs are rebuilding. Well, you're not rebuilding if you re-sign Jamel Dean and you also re-sign Levante Davis, especially with Jamel Dean, it being a, a four-year contract. And uh, you, you go to some of these other teams, shout out to Jamel Dean, you want to throw a picture of him up there. Like the Falcons being one spot ahead. The Falcons don't have as good of a offensive talent as the Bucs do, or defensively, in my opinion. They still don't have a quarterback situation, and I know they're in the top ten. They're eighth or ninth. You know, they're not going to have their first – unless they make a trade, which they could. They're not going to have their first pick at whatever quarterback they want. So either they're going to really like Anthony Richardson or, or Will Levis, or they're not going to be stuck with the top quarterback in the draft. 
the Bears have no offensive line. Now, surely they'll address that uh, in the draft. They did get more talent at wide receiver with trading out of the, the first round. The Titans looks like they're moving away from Ryan Tannehill. They want to trade Derrick Henry, their running back. Um, they released Taylor Lewan. Shout out, busting with the boys. Great podcast. Like they are getting ready to tank, and their quarterback, their rookie quarterback last year, uh, Malik Malik Willis. I mean, he looked terrible as a quarterback. And surely, you know, he can improve, and I'm sure he's worked on that. Like Rams as well. I guess they could bounce back with Stafford healthy, Cooper Cup healthy. Uh, I understand that. The Saints. That's another one I have a problem with, man. I get that Derek Carr is back, but they lost everyone on the defensive line. Like, everyone on the defensive line. And they addressed it. They signed a couple of guys um, that I don't think really match up with guys like David Onyemata that they lost. Offensively, everyone thinks Michael Thomas is going to be this great wide receiver. It's like, dude, it's not 2019 anymore. He's played like 10 games for the last three seasons. I like Chris Olave, but you can't tell me that the Saints are like that much better with the Bucs. The Broncos, I do think, will bounce back. Washington, they have very talented wide receivers. But Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback? I, I, I don't see that either. So, And Panthers at 21. They Who do they have on offense? Uh, other than whoever they're going to draft with the first pick, unless they trade out of that. Who do they have on offense? No one. They traded their best guy, DJ Moore. So, yeah, and, and again, the Packers, Jordan Love, a guy that's started one career game. And I think they scored like three points in that game against the Chiefs. Just, it's difficult for me to find, if, if, if for everything you said about the, the issues at quarterback, new coaches, things like that, Todd Bowles, all those other teams we rattled off, they, they have just as bad, if not worse problems than what Tampa Bay has going into the season. One thing I'm seeing a lot in your chat, and you mentioned it, this narrative that the Bucks are rebuilding, right? Like you said, if you're bringing back Jamal Dean, if you're bringing back Levante David, you're not rebuilding. You know, you're just retooling, you're reloading, and you're you're hoping to just consistently make the playoffs again, right? That's the hope. Now, what people are kind of not considering is that regardless of what fans want, and I know there's a lot of fans out there that want the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be in a rebuild, not be, you know, a very good team and draft Caleb Williams or whoever may be available. You know who doesn't want to rebuild? Todd Bowles. Because if no, Todd he Bowles, can't. <laughs> he can't. Because if Todd Bowles does not win games, he is going to be fired. If Jason Light does not win games, he's going to be on the hot seat. So you can bet that Todd Bowles and Jason Light want to win as many football games as they can, especially a guy like Todd Bowles. So they're not thinking that they're safe. Why Why would they? And yeah. they are going to go out there and they are going to try their darndest to win as many football games as they can. I think that you can pretty confidently say that there is no indication from the organization that they are just going to lay down and hope for Caleb Williams or anything along those lines, because a guy like Todd Bowles cannot afford to do that, Matt. Without question, without question. And even like tanking for a quarterback, you know, there are a couple of, there are a couple of, you know, if you get the first overall pick that are 
no question slam dunks like Andrew Luck comes to mind, Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago. But that's not always the case year in and year out. I'm willing to bet right now that let, let's just say the four quarterbacks go in the first round. I'm sure two of them will probably end up being bust. I, I wish a great career for um, for Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony and Anthony Richardson. But probably two of them are more than likely going to be a bust. Remember the the draft class with with Baker Mayfield. The only guy that really panned out out of that was was Josh Allen. You know, so um, the draft is a crapshoot, definitely. Um, when you look at the Bucks roster, we talked a lot about the re-signings recently and, and things like that. Um, is there any part of the roster that either concerns you the most or where you'd like to see the Bucks address first? Like, is is the safety position, you know, you got Antoine Winfield Jr. back, but it's like the fact that it's really only Antoine Winfield Jr. and, um, and Anthony uh, sorry, Nolan Turner, the fact that they're only there, it, like, is, is that more concerning to you than the fact that they don't have another starting offensive tackle after they release Donovan Smith and they have to decide with, with Tristan Wirfs? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Here's a couple of interesting things for me. Number one, which I know some people have been pretty on the fence about. I actually did a poll on my channel about this, Matt, where I asked people, do you agree with the release of Ryan Suckup? Do you think that it is a good idea? Mm. And man, oh man, the results were, I think it was 1,700 people voted in it. And it was 51% said no. And 49% said yes. So that just goes to show how split Bucks fans are. Whenever you look at the safety position, you know, Nolan Turner, he's an interesting cat. He could be a guy. The safety doesn't necessarily worry me as much with the Bucks because, you look and Bowles has developed safeties his entire career, right? That's what he specializes in. So I think that you can see a good amount of success from a lot of guys. Keanu Neal was actually a great player for the Buccaneers last year. I think he yeah. exceeded expectations and he's one guy that you really might like to have back. I know that Bowles was asked recently about Logan Ryan and wanting him bring him back, but man, I think you should also really be taking a look at Keanu Neal and if you can possibly get him back because I think it's it is a pretty decent starting safety duo if you have Winfield Jr. and Keanu Neal. I think that that is a quality starting safety duo there. But whenever I look at some positions that do worry me, I mentioned the Ryan Suckup poll there because yeah. it's a little bit of a gamble. And I know that people are going to say he can't kick from 50 plus, and that was fair. He was three of 10 during his time with the Buccaneers from 50 plus. But Man, oh man, you know, it's that idea of <laughs> do you want to mess with a, a good thing? Because below 50 yards, let's say 45 and under, Ryan Suckup was very accurate. I mean, very accurate. And you bring in Chase McLaughlin, and I think you guys have already talked about this on the podcast, and he had a good season last year with the Colts, and he was able to, to really get the job done, especially from 50-plus. I believe it was 9 of 12. But that's still a little bit of a gamble there, Matt. And kicking can matter in the biggest of opportunities, right? In the biggest of situations, I guess I should say. So that's that's one position that I think about a lot. Another thing, and I do want your thoughts and opinions on this. Yeah. I made a whole video talking about this. If there was one more free agent signing, if I could only have one more thing that the Buccaneers could do in free agency, for me, they need to bring in a veteran offensive tackle. Not to start necessarily. If you want to get some guy in the first round of the NFL draft and then move Tristan Wirfs over, by all means, go ahead. But 
I feel like it is so, so important to have a veteran insurance option. And you look at some guys. I saw some people talking about this in the chat earlier whenever we started. Maybe a guy like Eric Fisher. Maybe a guy like George Fant. Maybe some of those other veteran offensive tackles that are out there. I believe Cameron Fleming was another name that came to my mind. Guys who might not necessarily be your starter, but can start if you need them to. And that's huge. And I don't think at this point in free agency, they would cost a ton of money. And I think that that would be such an important add for this Buccaneers offense, because it gives you a little bit of a fallback plan. It gives you a little bit of a safety net. Yeah, I think that's a really good choice. I, that would be in my top three for sure. Um, I, I think it's important for Tristan Wirfs, and I'm actually thinking about this because they were drafted with the first and second draft picks for the Bucs in, in that year's draft. My initial pick was going to be safety because I'm thinking you got Antoine Winfield Jr. It'd be great. And I'm thinking more like re-signing. I would prefer Logan Ryan over Keanu Neal, but I get your point about Keanu Neal. If you bring in another veteran, because I think the odds are that the Bucs are going to end up drafting a safety within the first three rounds. So having that veteran presence to to help out whatever rookie they bring in. But where I kind of contradict myself is I certainly agree with like having a veteran offensive tackle to kind of show you the ropes in that sense. But I think Tristan Wirfs is going to be a guy that steps up more as a leader this year because he is the top guy. It's him and Ryan Jensen who have been on this offensive line. Everyone else is fairly new. I know Nick Leverett's back and Aaron Stinney was starting when, when they won the Super Bowl. But you talk about like the top dogs. It's Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs. But you could say the same exact thing for Antoine Winfield Jr. being a mentor to whatever safety he's in because they've been in the league around the same time and both stellar, stellar players. Um, But yeah, as far as swing tackle goes, it, it does suck that Josh Wells got injured so late in the season and he's probably not going to be back this year because he's going to be recovering half the year. I kind of think, and this isn't a an immediate need for the Buccaneers, but I just think depth-wise... Man, if something happens to Levante David or Devin White, like I do not trust the depth at inside linebacker if one of those guys goes down. Now, luckily, they were able to play every game uh, last season. I just don't think that you can count on that every single time, especially not only the physical nature of the NFL, but specifically inside linebacker where you're making tackle after tackle. And obviously, Levante David had a bounce back year, but Man, I get really concerned if um, if something happens to Levante or Devin White. I don't necessarily know how Tampa Bay would address that. I know they got KJ Britt. He's more of a special teams guy than anything else. But it's a really good question, James. Um, I definitely think offensive tackle has to be there if they if they want to find a veteran that can play the slot. I think that would be really important. But again. That's what that's what the draft is going to be for. So a lot of pretty good, um, a lot of pretty good options overall. I was trying to find that picture of Antoine Winfield Jr. just because I'm a big fan of the picture. But we'll show Levante David um, getting a sack on Joe Burrow and a forced fumble as well. Um, so yeah, a couple of options for the Bucks. But um, a top option for you if you want to start feeling better, uh, maybe losing some weight and just feeling a little bit more energetic. The number one place you got to go to is age rejuvenation. As we age, our hormones decrease, both for men and women. I was tired all the time, had no sex drive. I was groggy. I felt like I was 80 years old because everything hurt. I came to age rejuvenation because 
I was tired all the time. Bioidentical hormones has really made such an impact in people's lives. I actually enjoy shopping now. Got my, all my energy back. Mind is sharp. I feel like I'm 18 again. It was perfect for me. Get with age rejuvenation. Do it now. Don't wait. Call age rejuvenation today. Feel better, have better sex using age rejuvenation. That is former Buccaneer John Gilmore. That is a current picture, though. He looks to be in great shape. Obviously, a huge part of the Peter Game Day show during the season. Um, he's a big spokesperson for it. He's talked a lot about how it has helped him. Um, they have testosterone therapy, peptide therapy, and stem cell therapy. Scott Reynolds has talked about how he's lost weight, how he doesn't take naps anymore, and he is ready to go feeling 10 years younger. So make sure you check out Age Rejuvenation. Go to agerejuvenation.com and see how it can help you. Before we close out the show, going to get to a couple more comments from the pewter people. Wanted to start off with this one because uh, I put it out on Twitter, and I'm curious to get your opinion on it, James. So you have the NFL annual meetings, the league meetings that took place the other day, and there's always different rules that come out, different sanctions and different stuff. But one of the cool things that they allowed this year is um, the number zero is coming back. Players can wear number zero. Now, unfortunately, defensive linemen and offensive linemen cannot wear it, which I think is BS. If you're going to let all these different number changes, let the linemen do it too. I mean, they're the easiest ones to find out. You know, they're on the line of scrimmage. You know where they're going to go. Um, so only Bucks fans asks, who's going to claim number zero this season? Um, I put it out on Twitter, and I thought there were a couple of great suggestions by Bucks fans. I'm curious. I know I'm kind of putting you on the on the spot, but uh, does anyone jump out to you? Two guys on offense that jump out to me. Number one is Baker Mayfield. Yes, and, that's what I was thinking too. And number two is Rash. I know he already changed his number. I don't think he'll change it again, but. Rashad White just seems like a guy who would be able to rock number zero, you know? I was thinking him as well, but it's like, he, he just changed his number. He's not going to change it again. But those are two absolutely great opinions. I, I think when you think of number zero, you kind of lean a little bit more towards flashy skill players and, and things like that. But another one that I think would be a cool suggestion, also want to give a shout out to Big Al. He said, I want to see Ryan Jensen wear number zero. That'd be uh, pretty cool to see. Um Kate Otten <laughs> wearing number zero and people could do the pun of like Otten, but with the, with the zeros in his name instead yeah. of the O's, I think that would be a solid option, but I see Kate Otten cause he's 88. Mm -hmm. I want him to be a double zero. I think a double zero, which I don't even think that's allowed, but double zero seems like it would be a little bit better for uh, Kate Otten. Was there anyone defensively that you thought would be, uh, I don't be know cool if, to see. Yeah. I don't know if he would do it, but it'd be so cool to see like Winfield Jr. with zero, yeah. right? That would yeah. be a cool one. Maybe like Joe Tronchoenka would look pretty cool, you know, in a number zero. But aside from that, I just don't see really guys like Carlton Davis or Jamel Dean. I don't really see them changing their numbers necessarily. I don't obviously don't see Levante David doing it. So I would say maybe like also Shaq Bear would be pretty cool in number zero as well. If, if I, if I had to give two guys on defense, I would say Winfield jr. And Shaq Barrett. So I hadn't really thought of Barrett. I do kind of like it though. JTS. I fully agree. Cause he already wears number nine. So you're kind of, you're like three quarters of the way there. 
Yeah. Uh, Winfield as well, because just flying around in it. Uh, people said Brian Branch, who obviously is not on the box, but he's been linked to the box in a lot of mock drafts. That would be cool. And yeah, then another yeah. suggestion, two other suggestions that people brought to the table. Um, Pat O'Connor, you know, uh, defensive lineman, great on special teams, did the Bucks uh, training camp diary last year. Uh, fan favorite as well. Um, big locker room guy, glue guy, you know. Yeah. Because his um his social media handle is at Tupac, and you know people call him POC because Pat O'Connor. So you, again, kind of going back to the Kate Otten thing, That'd you put the one. zero for Pac. The other one, also along the defensive line, and friends with Pat O'Connor, Vita Vea, because he's already number fifty. Just putting him at zero, right in the middle of the interior defensive line, that'd be pretty cool. That would be a really good one, actually. But defensive linemen can't wear it, unfortunately, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's where Pat O'Connor and Vita Vey, unfortunately, could not do it. No, I don't know. That's a stupid rule. Let, let yeah. Now, I wonder where they make that distinction, because if you run a 3-4 and you have a guy who's an edge <laughs> rusher who's going to sometimes have his hand in the dirt and, and rushing and whatnot, does he get to wear it? If so, well, why can't DNs wear it? So yeah. it's just, it, it gets way too... That's that is a little bit of a dumb rule, isn't it? That they, if you're gonna let, if you're gonna allow zero back in, just let everybody wear it. Why not? You know. Also, another guy, special teamer, Camarda would look sick in numbers. Yes, eight. yes, yeah. That's uh, that's a that's a pretty good one. Uh, I wouldn't mind like Geiger or uh, Tompkins or Geiger either. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, let's get to a couple other. Couple others here. Um, Thomas Foolery, shout out to him, Tom Foolery. With Stinian Leverett on one year deals, would Andrew Voorhees be a good investment if he's there early day three to basically redshirt 2023 from the ACL, knowing he could start in 2024? This is another offensive lineman that was linked to the Bucs and unfortunately he got hurt at the combine, but like a true badass, still went out there and did the bench press. And I think either led all offensive linemen or was like was up there with the rest of them. If he's there on day three, I'm all for red shirting an offensive lineman like this. Um, the Bucks are always trying to replenish on the offensive line. You know, Ryan Jensen's getting a, a little bit older. You obviously got something good there with Robert Hainsey. Lugetta Key's a rookie. We'll see how he develops. Uh, Leverett's on a cheap deal. Same with Darren Stinney, as obviously Tom said in this comment. I'm all for it. It's just a matter of if the Bucks want to plug and play an offensive lineman early in this draft. Yeah, I think I think it's obviously not a bad idea. We don't know if Andrew Voorhees is going to be there because obviously if a couple of teams have that idea, that could push up his value. But yeah, I think that Voorhees was a good developmental offensive lineman before we got her at the combine yeah. Matt, I mean you both were there and you know we heard Voorhees talk and I think the dude just got a really good personality and and is just really a type of guy that you want on your team right and mm -hmm. the injury was unfortunate but hey if he is available at some point in the later rounds I would be all for the Buccaneers taking an opportunity getting a developmental guy and then bring bringing him in somewhere along the along the lines of heck maybe even later in the season right? Because you look at the David Ajabo situation yeah. with the Ravens and a lot of people thought he was going to be out for the year. He ended up playing in a couple of games. So maybe you could have a similar situation, but yeah, I, I don't think that, that would be a bad idea at all, especially with some of those guys getting a little bit older. Like you said, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of unfortunate, but it's always interesting when there's a talented player that gets injured and you're like, we want him 
but when's the right time to take them? Because you have to balance out the fact that they can't play right away. So it's interesting. Emily, shout out Emily, said Emily Kampa said, uh, hi, everyone. Bottom line is we have competent players here and a new offensive outlook that we haven't seen yet. Upside is other teams having a clue what we I'm probably saying what we look like. Uh, thank you for the comment, Emily. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of a uh, lot of vagueness to, to the Bucks offense this year. Definitely excited for OTAs and training camp and obviously the season just to get a look at what this offense is going to look like. Shaggy says uh, round one offense tackle, round two edge safety, round three tight end wide receiver. I agree with the first two. I think round three, you might want to look at a different direction, maybe defensive tackle. I think there are a couple of tight ends that you can get in the fifth round. I know I'm a big fan of Tucker Craft out of South Dakota, uh, but appreciate the comment nonetheless. And we'll finish it off with Al Bundy, who says, offensive tackle is not the biggest need for the Bucks because we don't have another defensive end or safety. But offensive tackle has very little day one starting depth. There's only going to be three within our reach. So offensive tackle becomes most necessary. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, James, where would you like to see the Bucs address first? So I, I would kind of disagree a little bit regarding the, the DN stuff because you did just sign Greg Gaines. I feel like he's yeah. a guy that could start for you if you need him to. I do agree with safety. One guy I love a lot, which I know you guys have been talking about him a ton, is Brian Branch. Yes. Just seeing that dude at the combine was crazy. I mean, that man was <laughs> that man was so locked in. He he really looked like one of the best just secondary members, period, out there at the combine. Um, but you also take a look at some options in the the later rounds as well. I know you guys have talked about Sidney Brown a, a lot as well. And I think that that's another great option at safety. But for me, whenever you look at draft things, I feel like offensive tackle has still got to be one of the biggest considered things in round one, right? And I, and I do think that that will be a strong consideration by the Bucks. Round two, maybe you do look at safety at that point. You could take a guy like Sidney Brown in round two, and that would not be surprising at all, in my opinion. Uh, and you also do look at maybe edge depth. The Buccaneers are a little bit lacking on edge depth overall. They could continue to bolster that, especially with Shaq Barrett still recovering from a pretty nasty Achilles injury that he had suffered later in yeah. the previous season. But I agree with you 100%. Whenever you look at maybe like a third round guy, I still think you got to look at D-line there. You do have Logan Hall who's coming back, but you just lost two of your starting guys in Akeem Hicks and in Will Golston. I know you did re-sign Greg Gaines, but... You do still want to add a little bit more depth there. You still want to kind of add some guys with some fringe starting abilities and whatnot. And while I do think a guy like Gaines can certainly start for you, and I do think the expectation is that Logan Hall is going to take a massive step up in his second season, which would be a fantastic thing to see as well. Yes, it would. You you do definitely have to cover your bases there and just continue to stockpile and get a lot of depth there, which I, I think is definitely going to be the range the way that the Buccaneers go. Yeah, I have a feeling that Al, when he said defensive end and safety, was probably talking about outside linebacker. I'll give him the benefit of uh, of the doubt there. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think for offensive tackle, what it really comes down to is, do the Bucs want to commit to drafting their next starting offensive tackle, or do they see free agency and go, all right, we think this guy can be a starter for a season or two. 
Or there's obviously the experiment with Luke Gedeke. Um, Will they keep him at guard? Will they move him to right tackle where he played the last game of the season? I think first they have to decide, are you going to go Gedeke free agent or are you drafting your next starting offensive tackle? And if the answer is you're going to draft your next starting offensive tackle, I think you have to do it in round one. If not, then you have a couple of different options. Um, But yeah, we'll see. The draft is at the end of the month. A lot of exciting things. The Bucs can go in a number of different directions, which makes it that much more exciting. What are they going to do? But that's going to do it for us on tonight's show. By the way, if you're not already doing so, please follow us on our social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at Pewter Report, and then our YouTube channel is Pewter Report TV. We got podcasts four times a week. We put up various clips as well from podcast segments, um, you know, press conferences, interviews, a lot of great different stuff. So please do us a favor and follow us at Pewter Report TV. James, thank you so much for joining the show today. One more time, just let us know where we can find all of your stuff, both uh, on YouTube and writing as well. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bucks Nation. I do talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on there. Occasionally, I'm also here on YouTube at Mr. Bucks Nation as well. Have been putting in a lot of different type of content throughout the past couple of days, talking about the Chase McLaughlin signing, talking about the Deidre Senate re-signing, and really just a lot of different scenarios for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I try to upload every day to cover your favorite team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and yeah, I also write articles over at BucksNation.com. If you guys are interested in checking out some of my written work, it can be found over there also. And, you know, hey, again, I just want to say, if you guys are new here to Pewter Report, maybe you guys are coming in from my channel. Uh, I know I'm going to be promoting this over on that end. Definitely subscribe. I definitely like this. Definitely follow Pewter Report here for all the latest updates, as well as just a lot of really cool, interesting insight on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers also and matt again hey thanks for having me on is greatly appreciated uh can't wait to be back on again and just continue to talk about the tampa bay buccaneers because it's always an interesting time yeah there's there's usually something to talk about with the buccaneers so thank you man thanks for uh joining the show and and the kind words that you said that's going to do it for us tonight tomorrow's show will be again at 7 p.m adam slavon and scott reynolds is coming on a thursday show Going to talk a little bit more about the NFL draft and as it deals and as it's important to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So for James, a.k.a. Mr. Bucks Nation, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you tomorrow night for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Later. Peace out.